friends, and welcome to So Poetry, the Poetry Conversation Podcast. My name is Michael Zuloff, I am your host, uh, and I am, as always, very thrilled to be talking with y'all and to be talking to my guest today, um, who is Shanta Lee Gander. Uh, Shanta is a multidisciplinary artist and writer who explores a range of, range of genres. Uh, her work has been featured in Prism, Itinerant Literary Magazine, Palette Poetry, Blavity, Day Magazine, Crisis, uh, Rebel Society, and a host of others. Uh, Shanta is the 2020 recipient of the Arthur, Arthur Williams Award for Meritorious Service to the Arts, and her debut poetry collection, Ghetto Claustrophobia, Dreaming of Mama While Trying to Speak in Woke Tongues, uh, won Diode Edition's full-length po uh, poetry book contest. Her second collection, uh, Black Metamorphoses, is forthcoming with Etruscan Press, uh, Shanta has an MFA uh, in creative writing or creative nonfiction and poetry from the Vermont College of Fine Arts, uh, an MBA from the University of Hartford, and an undergraduate degree in women, gender, and sexuality uh, from Trinity College. Uh, and to see Shanta's uh, photography and writing, you can visit her website, shantaleegander.com. Uh, uh, so, with introductions out of the way, Shanta, welcome to So Poetry. Hi, Michael. Nice to talk with you today. You too. Um, so the first thing that I wanted to, I guess, wanted to plug, um, because I am, like I said in, in our sort of introductory emails, I'm very interested in, in a, maybe going to this, but you were teaching a masterclass, uh, in like a month or so, correct? Yeah. So I did a month long or, oh, actually, sorry. I've like taught so many classes. <laughs> I am, I'm doing something on, um, kind of shaking people out of their grooves, if you will, poetically. And then I'm doing something around that's more geared towards all genres and it's uh, focused on um, tapping into our creativity in the everyday. Oh, cool. And so they're, they're kind of kind of connected, but like different pathways. And this one, um, we'll be looking at maybe some different styles people could try out and some different things people could do um, to almost like getting out of their poetic funk. Yeah. I, um, the, the second masterclass or the second class that you mentioned reminds me a lot of the very first class that I took in my MFA program. Um, it was called Ways of Seeing, or I guess it was called Creativity and the subtitle was Ways of Seeing. Um, cool. And it was basically a semester long, just like trying out a bunch of different stuff and just seeing what's out there. We, we, everyone had a creativity journal that every week we would have assignments that we'd have to fill it with, but the assignments would mm -hmm. be something along the lines of like, um, listen to these three songs and use um, just like free draw what you hear or what you what you feel when you listen to these songs and just fill up like a page mm. in a notebook um or That's I, awesome one of them was i don't remember i think it was like you had a choice of things that you could choose you had a list of things you could choose from and among them was doing everything in a given day that you would use your dominant hand for but use your non-dominant hand just as a way to experience yes. like in your body something that is like an activity that you know how to do that has been ingrained in you that you've done for years and years and years, but feels mm -hmm. completely new because you're using your non-dominant hand to accomplish these things, which was, I was working as a, a barista at the time and that was a very weird experience going through my day, 
trying to like steam milk and pour stuff with my do- I was like this I'm I have to be real careful <laughs> real careful when I do this um, yes but yeah that's it I it was a really good litmus test uh, to see if people would actually appreciate the program because the program itself is very much just it, it was uh, the sort of um, I guess the mantra of the program was plork which was a portmanteau of play and work as which is a um, the the head of the program at the time Kendra Kapelke was very interested and preoccupied with the idea of like art as both play and work in really emphasizing mm-hmm. the play of it because mm-hmm. as I don't know I guess in academic writing it doesn't really feel like it's a thing that you encounter a whole lot yeah yeah um, that makes a lot of sense but we had we had a handful of people that bounced out off of that class real hard and we we're like, okay, you're probably not going to enjoy the, the, the rest of the program. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, I mean, not, not to, I guess, spoil the, the class, but do you have, I guess, a sort of like go-to sort of list or maybe for yourself specifically, if, if you feel like you're in a funk or feel like you need to, um, like change things up in your own writing or your own Mm -hmm. creative practices like are is there a sort of like tried and true set of things that you turn to 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 help shake things up for yourself i do actually i usually try to turn to science or like watch a science documentary um i love the idea of quantum physics and anything that that I cannot truly articulate on my own. Um, and, you know, I love like jumping into that or like learning more about the black hole or today, you know, like sometimes on Instagram, they have those stupid little videos that they try to make you click on. Well, there was one where this woman was holding, I looked like a crab. For some reason, I just clicked on it. So I was just curious. And then I looked up what she was talking about. And she, so I guess this Scorpio, had given birth. Oh, I've seen and, that video. Yeah, you know that video. And I guess she was saying that, that, you know, they're born, then they have to form a shell, but they're born with that. They're very soft, mm-hmm. but she's got to keep an eye on them because the mother eats them, you know, if they're not. Yeah. And so I looked it up and I was like, oh my God, I didn't even know Scorpios. My astrological sign is like, I'm on a cusp. So I'm Scorpio, Libra Scorpio. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I did not know Scorpios ate like, and one of the descriptions I read, if they can't find enough to eat, the mother to mm-hmm. nourish, she turns to her babies and oh, like, wow. eat them. and I didn't, and I was like, okay. So like one of the things, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's some writing that's going to come out of it, but it's one of those things that I'm like, this helps, you know, one dive I've done that I like to return. I, I'm kind of obsessed with Louis XIV's court and you know the man in the iron mask mm. not so iron you know that that kind of versailles and so like maybe some time travel so anything mm. that kind of gets me and trying to think about who don't i know about or what don't i know about yeah to kind of expand my brain a little even if i'm not necessarily going to use it right yeah and i, I mean i i think that I feel like one of the the biggest maybe negative impacts that 
I don't know if this is the same way in other societies, but at least in, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. American society, which is what I'm the most versed with having lived here all of my mm-hmm. life, um, mm-hmm. it definitely seems like there is a, um, maybe not like conscious effort, but at least a concerted effort to beat curiosity out of people as they progress yes. through like at least schooling but probably through professional life and stuff but because yeah. like what, what you're saying is like I, I can remember I feel like when I was a kid um which like exactly thinking about the the creativity class that we had very much of just it's like you just try shit you just like the the or maybe the the as we get older there's a sense of weight and a sense of like force gravitas that we give things that we if we're interested in it we have to pursue it otherwise it's it's wasted time or wasted effort instead of having it very holding on to it very loosely and just being like i'm gonna spend like a day reading about this stuff and like okay cool i, I spent a day reading about this stuff now i can move on yeah. you know like i learned more than i know i now know more than i did before and now i can move on to something else because my curiosity has been satiated yeah. and you know it's like you don't have to it, it was like yeah I mean, it's funny because I often joke and say I'm the Hollywood reporter for the dead. Like, <laughs> you know, like these these salacious, weird secrets, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, it's like, I'm not really going to do anything with the fact that Wilkie Collins, you know, author of Woman in White, Victorian author, the fact that he had kind of like two wives or two families. Like, I'm not really going to do anything about that. But it it's interesting it's fascinating and you know dive into it and or um i i just i was today years old so i knew about night vale welcome to night vale mm-hmm. is this podcast it, you know totally fictional town so for a while i'm like yeah i'm not jumping onto that everybody else seems to be jumping onto that and finally it was like you know what? i'm gonna give it a chance and then they opened up another podcast and i'm you know it's a weird podcast where it's like kind of like an alternate reality of the 20th century mm-hmm. and like i'm listening to it i'm trying to get into it I'm like this is weird and so but i'm like you know what i'm gonna try it out i'm, I'm gonna try it out because you know my, usually my go-to podcasts are anything in terms of like true but like horrified weird stuff like lore for example i love lore mm-hmm. you know um or um weird darkness is another one you know true crime but i was like oh let me just shake it up so yeah and it's it's funny too what you say about curiosity because one of the things i do with my students i, I teach a media studies class it is all about encouraging and asking and and not it's okay to not be able to answer the why like people want to be like well why are you doing that or for what purpose is this for does does, does everything have to have a purpose and yeah. or could the purpose just be curiosity like right. you were saying yeah and i i mean that to me that is a, a major aspect of i mean i think american i don't know if it, if it goes back to like the the puritans and that sort of the the work ethic end all be all sort of a thing that like the utilitarianness that everything that you do has to serve a purpose. Um, right. And thinking about, I mean, I, I think I, I'm sure that there were probably poets before this, but what comes to mind is the poet of what comes to mind as the poet that sort of flew in the face of that was Walt Whitman of just that he would just loaf around and just, just kind of hang out. Um, and, there's no real purpose to it, but I mean, I've heard, I've seen a lot of, um, I've heard some like tech talks and some read, read some research about the, the idea that boredom breeds creativity, 
that mm-hmm. if you're in a state and you're bored, it forces you to like deal with the world that you have. Because I mean, I can remember when I was a kid, there'd be times that I was just like, I was bored and I didn't know what to do. And a lot of times I returned to TV, but the times that I didn't, you know, like I'd pull out some of my old toys or pull out my Legos or just, you know, like spend some time pulling out some books that I haven't read, uh, that I hadn't read in years or whatever. And just, you know, like it forces you to engage in your environment in a way that is, I guess, different than you would habitually do it. But in order to be bored, you need to have a level of like personal and financial and, emotional and mental security that you can be in a place and just not not feel like you have to do things that you can just sort of like that is so important that you say that because it's like i feel like even in this world where people are like i'm busy you know it's just like that and it's it's or there's an implication that some people are like way busier than others and therefore everything that they're busy about is important Mm -hmm. but there does need to be space to just I don't know, lay on your back and look at the sky. Yeah. I mean, and no, and, yeah, yeah. That, that, um, I've, I've seen this used in like, as evidence for both sides of, I guess this argument, but the, um, I think it's the Mary Oliver poem, wild geese that has the lines, like, what would you do with your one wild and precious life? Yes, and yes, 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 yes. And you know, like up until maybe the last couple of years, I've seen, most of the people that have read that have, have come down on the side of, you know, it's like, oh, you got, it's like the um, archaic story of Apollo from Rilke. That's like, you have to change your life. You, there's there's yeah, some yeah, bigger yes, thing yes. that you have to do. And then yeah. more recently, I've been seeing people coming at it from like, well, you know, what Mary Oliver chose to do was just hang out in the woods and watch geese you know, like take long fucking walks and just watch <laughs> geese fly. Like yeah. that's what she yeah. chose to do with her one wild and precious life. And that, yeah. that, that, that was a, a valid use of her time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I mean, especially now that we're living in a, a culture that has shifted into like the, the side hustle and the side side hustle and that, that constantness of side side hustle. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. That's like you, you constantly have to be doing something to, in order to get ahead or to be like financially soluble because the minimum rate wage hasn't been changed in, you know, however long, it, you know, or that, that, that in order to in order to live your life you have you can't just do you can't just have one career anymore you have to have all these different things that you cobble together into an existence but it all it feels like it all of it work towards you or anybody not having just time you know mm-hmm. that and mm-hmm. it feels like there's and if there's also too there's a difference between I mean, I've always been someone who didn't cobble things together, but chose the things that I wanted to be involved in and had a full buffet table, Mm -hmm. um, right? And it's just like, I guess some people could say that's a privilege, but I wanted my life to be that way where I, I, everything I was doing and yes, 80 hour weeks and yes, sometimes working weekends, but do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Versus people being forced, right? And I think there's such a difference and that I feel like that impacts people's accessibility to the creative. Oh yeah. Too. Like I mean, hugely. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, I like the most, the most, I guess like singular creative times in my life have been the two residencies that I've done. One was for two weeks and one was for a month actually at the Vermont studio center, um, 
maybe in your neck of the woods. I mean, in your neck of the woods, Vermont-wise, but I don't, I don't know yeah, where yeah. exactly you live. But yeah. Um, yeah, I was up there for a month, and I, like, for the two residencies that I did, I, I set myself the goal of writing a poem a day, um, which is really unheard of for me in my day-to-day -day life, but I was able to sort of maintain the openness to the creative space that I needed to, like, the internal placement of whatever it, I needed to have placed somewhere to be open to that sort of just creative energy. And I did it. I, I think I wrote, I think there was a couple of days I wrote like two or three poems, but it, like just having that time to not have to worry about bills, to not have to worry about going to work that I could just spend in the company of other writers and artists and talk with them and have like build friendships with them and just be in, in, in contact with them and just to have time to just an entire day to just do whatever it is that you want. It's like, as long as I wrote a poem, I could do whatever the hell else I wanted to do in that day. And that was, it was so, it was so freeing. And it, it gave me a taste of like, I don't, I want this life, but I don't know how to actually attain this life other than have a patron, which feels weird in this day and age, but, um, or, you know, somehow win the lottery. But it, it that, that, that idea of like, the life that I want, the creative life that I want to attain feels like it is um, mutually exclusive to the like capitalist system in which we operate right now. Like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how to, I don't know how to, how to make these things work <laughs> together, even if they can. Right. But right. yeah, I mean, it's, it's so. I mean, it's so different than the world of what Emily Dickinson, right. And, or a, time period even though that's not true either because it did depend on what class you were from right yeah that. whether or not you had that ability to be yeah and i love emily dickinson but i you know right well i mean you know, I'm just, she had that ability yeah and like thinking of the romantic poets that you know it's like we're probably yes. all you know like landed came from some amount of money that they could just go like wordsworth or just wandering i mean i understand I feel like I feel like if anybody got close to it, it was probably Mary Oliver. But I, I'm pretty sure she was a teacher, mm. and like she lived in like the the life that she lived felt like it was relatively small, not in like a negative connotation smallness, mm -hmm. but just that mm -hmm. you know, it's like she lived in Provincetown, and it was just like the mm. the the scope of her life seemed like it was relatively Spartan. Um, but like Wordsworth, I, I'm sure that he, I don't know if he did anything other than writing poetry. I, I, it's been a while since I've, I've read, done any reading on him, but just the fact that he could just like go on trips, go to just wander around and like experience things. It's like, that's, that's a privilege that he had because of his station yeah. in life. Um, well, except for, I will say I read, oh, there's a book called the romantics and it was the story, the backstory. So when Shelley ran off, Percy Shelley ran off with Mary and her half sister, he was like, he started trying to sell off or bond off his inheritance or something because he was oh. trying to get money from his father. So he wasn't like, I mean, I think it was his father that had like, I, I forget the full story, but it was something like, <laughs> there they are, like, young mm -hmm. and going across europe but like you know there he is selling off you know trying to get more money and so but that was interesting but still he was able to travel so i don't know how he 
figure that out. Yeah. I mean, that was interesting. Yeah. I think, did he, I think he also abandoned a wife and some children too. Something like that. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that, that feels kind of par for the, par for the course yeah, for, right? those, for those guys. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, but it does, it does really, it feels like the, the luxury of having like unincorporated time mm. is, is really, feels like it's really fundamental to creative practices but it also feels like it's in anathemistic to you know like being a quote-unquote success or having like a successful career or you know i mean i do know people that that can like carve out those times for themselves like i i know writers that keep very strict writing schedules you know, it's like they'll wake up at five and spend a couple hours writing and then i'm not that day. writer i'm not that right i mean i i do carve out time four things that are really important like to finish my especially when it comes to finishing my poetry books mm -hmm. or trying to dedicate to what I call my memoir-esque project you mm -hmm. know things like that right um and but I well my teaching it does not take like it I'm very dedicated to that and I'm also dedicated to my my photography mm -hmm. and what I'm doing with that currently and so I do have dedicated um moments of time where I'm like okay you know I I think you know part like any life stuff that happens right I try to like organize it as best I can so that it does not impact or harm what I have to be right. doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I've, I've attempted to have a, like a set scheduled writing practice many, many times in my life. Same. I, it feels like it's the same sort of like, it feels adjacent to my attempts to be a consistent uh, runner or jogger. And it's, it's never, I've, I can maintain it for a little bit of time. And then just all of the, I don't know, just the 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 strictness of keeping that schedule for me just feels like not great <laughs> especially yeah. for my life of just like i don't know what the hell i'm gonna do tomorrow like there could be stuff that happens and like i don't yeah. you know, like it's, right. it feels like i don't know it feels like to hold on to to one thing so tightly that it, it is forced it almost feels like i'm forcing this thing to exist in my life and it, it's not, it doesn't exist in, in that way in, in an organic fashion. Because um, I, I, I typically write really only when I get moved to write, which has happened right. sometimes when I'm at work and, you know, I'll take like five minutes yeah. or something to jot down some lines or finish a poem or whatever. But um, yeah, like every time that I've sat down to and written, when I have not been inspired to write, I have generated just crap every single time. Um, and it has not, I think that it's probably a thing that if I pushed through that initial resistance, I could get to a spot that I could, I could do it, but I really don't, yeah. it, it feels like it's, it would be way too much work and effort to actually push through that initial resistance. And I'm like, I, there's other stuff that I, I could be reading. It's like, creating a ritual really, you oh, know, yeah, like, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, it's like, it's like, I mean. That's how I, I've tried, I've been trying to like, be like, okay, I need to do something like that, like ritual-esque. But then it's just like, you know, especially if you're, I'm married. So it's just like, how do you say, <laughs> we're both writers. So it's just like, can I, can I get away with getting up in the morning and saying nothing? Can I, can I do what Joan Didion used to do? There's this story, I watched a documentary of her life and 
she'd come downstairs and I guess she liked to drink um, Coca-Cola or whatever. So it's her thing and she's there and you knew better than to say anything to her mm-hmm. while she's like getting ready for her day. And I'm like, wow, can I need to step my diva game up again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess that's also a thing that, like, I don't, like, poetry is, a, it the experience of poetry and, and writing it and, and existing in, in that, that state, I guess, like, the state of poetry, the, the awareness or the, mm-hmm. just the, the closeness to things is something that is really important to me, but it doesn't feel like it is important enough that I have, that it requires the sacrifice of other things in my life. Um, which is like, I mean, that's just, it's a, I never really thought about that. It being like creating that ritual space before, but also in the sort of ritual sense of, you know, like, what am I willing to put up on the altar for this thing in, in, in lieu of other things? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. It just, it just doesn't have to be, I mean, it doesn't, it's, it's almost, I always, I also like to think of things like an and, and, and right. Mm -hmm. Like, to it's like does it have to be so like so for example instead of looking at me i love tv i'm not one of those people that believes tv is evil it's not evil like i'm very visual i love film i love movies i love all those things and it's like you know instead of saying okay i can't watch i'm sacrificing Mm -hmm. i just say you know what during this time you know my shows that i want to catch up on that's great. When, when I'm ready to go watch them all, they'll all be there. Right. That will be great. Just keep my movie list. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that it feels like I wonder, can one always be in a poetic state? Because like writing poetry, as you know, is significantly different than let's say, you know how people do the performance of the coffee shop. They're in a coffee shop and they're like writing. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, I don't know anybody who could actually like I can't do that. Mm-hmm. That's great. I mean, I can check emails in a coffee shop. Right. But it's it's one of these things where I'm like, how it's a different state of mind that I find that I want to lines appear even while I'm driving. I'm like, oh great. Yes. It's a line. I hope I don't lose it. Yes. <laughs> you know, right? Yes. It's like, could you how do you shape your life? You know, I, I have a friend like that. He he gets up. We we both know he gets up at like five in the morning and he does, I think he does it on typewriter. He's like so analog. And I'm oh, like, wow. wow, like mad props. He's been look, working on the same project for years. And I was like, mad props. Yeah. It's a long, long poetic thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how do you, like, how do you get yourself prepared? Like, it's one thing to be like, oh, every day it's creative. And, you know, that's fine. But like the the poetic state, what would that actually? I've been trying to ask myself what that means. Like, yeah. what would that mean? I don't. I don't know. I mean, I've I've been thinking about that a, a lot myself, especially since like over the the pandemic and quarantine. Like, I haven't really written mm-hmm. a ton, um, and I I know mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think that I have an idea for one of the reasons why that is. I don't know if it's the only reason, but it feels like it's a big one that during the majority of like quarantine and the sort of the end of the Trump administration and just all the anxiety that was built up into the end of, of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
I was much more seeking out distractions, things that I could, that I could sort of empty myself into and sort of shut myself down with so that I wouldn't have to just engage in the larger thing in just the larger world. Cause it was leading to a lot of depression and anxiety and just not like it was like right. destroying me. I mean, it, the, the seeking out distractions I think has also negatively impacted me now because it, instead of being a, a helpful tool, it feels like it's become a crutch and I'm trying to kind of navigate myself out of that mindset now that I feel like I'm in a place that's relatively stable and I can start like re-engaging with the larger aspects of things. Um, but I think, I think for me, one of the major aspects of this sort of sustained poetic uh, state is like an intimacy and an awareness and a, a, a closeness to just like all the aspects of your, it feels like it's, it's like active meditation that you're, that you're Mm. in a state that you're Mm -hmm. able to connect with and see things and intuit things and just be present constantly. But that Mm -hmm. takes, that requires so much energy, at least for me, being able to sustain that requires so much energy. Um, And I don't know, it feels like it's an all or nothing all or nothing thing, but I feel like there's probably a way that you could like a, um, a faucet or something that you can turn it on and not have it full blast, but just have it like trickling out. So it's, it, you're at maybe like 40% constantly. So you can, you still have access to it. And then when you need to, you can, you can throttle it and get it like fully immerse yourself in it. And then you can kind of ease yourself back, but you're still in that state. But I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know how to attain that. It's, it seems like it's attainable, but I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to get there. Yeah. I think that's a big question. Right. Yeah. I mean, at least I, that's what I'm trying to figure out is like, how do you, even with emotions, so you, there's that idea that you just, you know, let them come and go and wash over you. But mm-hmm. it's just like, well, how do you do that when you're sitting in the middle of traffic or you need to get someplace and someone's driving super slow or whatever the situation is, right? right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it feels like, I don't, I don't know if, if I'm, a, if I equate, so I just, this is, this is some, some fresh thoughts. So I don't, I don't know if they're actually going to lead anywhere, but um, so I, I grew up uh, vehemently Christian um, and in mm-hmm. under, undergrad, I sort of left that and I'm, I'm not really affiliated with anything, but of all of the I guess like belief systems that are out there, um, Zen Buddhism makes the most sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. At least in regards to like mindfulness and just like the 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 tenets of like impermanence and like non perfection and sort of non attachment. Like you're saying, mm-hmm. like emotions. It's just you yes. can acknowledge them and you can sit with them and you can sort of understand them, but you don't have to engage with them in ways that are like the habitual ways that you've all that you've engaged with these things. You can kind of just let them be the, the, these things that you experience, but it's not the totality of the experience. You can kind of, and then when they need to go, you can just kind of let them, you can just let them go. Right. Um, and I've also sort of through that, I have developed like a, a haiku writing practice. And a lot of the poetry mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm writing now feels like it's, it's built on the sort of foundation of poetry or foundation of haiku. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if, because what I sort of see as the, as a, as a sustained poetic state feels like it is just mindfulness and that sort of that act of, of just constant present 
like full presentness and full mindfulness, which feels like it is the, I don't know, maybe like, maybe not in result, but one of the, the things to try to attain in Buddhism of just that, that state of just like you are, you are present, you are connected, you are open, you are listening and just accessible to things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't know if, if, if I hadn't sort of fallen a little bit into Zen Buddhism, if, if my idea of poetry or picked up haiku if my idea of that poetic state would be the same or if it's really been colored by that um Mm -hmm. but i yeah i I don't know because it it feels like because that's really what when i was at the studio center that's really it felt like that's what i was able to just be i could just be present i could just be like things could happen like i had no real plans i had like every day was a sort of like i mean i fell into um I guess like rituals or habits. Cause I, I when I was there, I, I worked in the kitchen as a, as a dishwasher, uh, Mondays, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday mornings. Um, and once mm-hmm. I got like, I could get that finished and then go to my writing studio. And usually between that time and lunch, I would write my poem for the day. And then the rest of the day, it's like, I could read, I could nap, I could wander around, I could go hang out with people. So like, it was a, I guess a, like a set, things that I could choose from, but every day it could be sort of a mix and match of those things. But I was able to, to kind of just be in this state of like, I'm not really thinking about tomorrow. I'm not thinking about what's going to happen at the end of the, the month. I'm just like each day, each moment, I'm like, I'm existing now and that's it. And it felt like that's the, the closest that I, that I've been able to, to sort of maintain that. Um, but as soon as I left, as soon as I got back to like, my apartment and back to work it's like there was all these these uh, things that sort of creeping into that attention and all these extra things of like oh i have to pay attention to this oh i have to pay attention to this it's like oh i have friends i need to go see or i have a, a, my partner that i need to spend time with i have my own emotional stuff you know it's like it's just all of these all of the the bits of the the attention whereas at the studio center i could all of the attention could be focused on poetry or things that are in service to poetry and then when i got back all of like the the pie of that attention was slices were being taken out from other things and what was left was you know like okay well there's a little bit that i can give to poetry but it's not you know it's it's a it's a uh fraction of what i had when i was at the studio center but yeah i don't i don't know that's i'm gonna i'm gonna think i have to think about that (laughs) yeah it's a it's a big one yeah um so speaking of big ones, this might also be a relatively big question, but um, how did poetry happen for you first? Like, why why poetry for you? Why poetry? Um, it's funny because, so my first language was writing in my journal. I've been keeping a journal since I was 13 years old. And like, I grew up in a household where the whole edict was uh, children seen, not heard. Mm -hmm. And so it, instead of me believing, really believing that it actually encouraged me to have more of a richer internal life. And, you know, I couldn't ask questions of Adele. So like I'm asking them in my head. And then at some point as a teenager, stumbled upon poetry and poetry started to be another language for communicating. Um, you know, I came in contact with Emily Dickinson and her work, uh, 
I think they're like, and in, in revisiting her work as an adult, there's something that I didn't quite understand when I was reading it and ingesting it then, mm-hmm. um, came in contact with T.S. Eliot's Wasteland. Um, I, you know, it was like really, even if you don't quite understand those things, they kind of get into your bones. And so um, I'd found out about this. So I was writing poetry before then, but then there was this program I found out about um, where you could like spend part of your time in school and then the rest of the time in the Greater Hartford Academy of the Arts. Mm -hmm my guidance counselor, since I was entering senior year, she was like, I would suggest you not do it because there are students who are there who've been there since, you know, three years. I did it anyway. And I, you know, took this class called the Jazz Age, took a class about how do you perform poetry? You know, it was a theater class. So, um, you know, and we were assigned writing our own wasteland. It's like, what the hell would you know about writing a wasteland? Especially if there is no World War One, right? If you're, but there you are talking about your own little wasteland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, um, I that that's a simple answer of like how poetry, why poetry, and something else I've had a chance to really think about is, um, so I grew up listening to all sorts of music. It my mother liked country so Dolly Parton Kenny Rogers and Madonna and some hip-hop right and then the more you know I remember yo MTV raps I remember and and thinking about Rakim and thinking about um, KRS-One and the language and how you don't necessarily like I didn't think about it until looking back and thinking oh actually there is something like I still, you know, Wu Tang Clan. There, there's still th- and people may not be Jay Z fan. I'm, I've been a Jay Z fan for years, mm-hmm. um, and so that's that. Like just listening to the rhythm, meter, internal rhyming, um, all those things where I'm like, it, it. I don't necessarily write like that, but the the ways that language just gets inside of you. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and the wordplay and and how you can do something with the poem that I feel like other forms can't really do or they're limited in doing it. And it's, you can say so much wrapped, just wrapped concisely. It's actually, it's harder actually, yeah. oh, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like easier to write a novel and go on for like 500 pages. But then if you had to take the same concepts and put them into a poem, good luck with that. Right. <laughs> and then making it a good poem, right? And, yeah. and making the lines crisp and move, that is hard. Mm-hmm. And like, I, it's become harder the more conscious I've become mm-hmm. of what, how you're thinking. Um, yeah, I've, I've had so many different stages of development as a creative. Yeah, I'm 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 curious. Like, are so I know that you you do other things than just poetry, but um, so I, I have a question sort of related to that. But specifically mm-hmm. with poetry, like, have there been? I, I know in my in my own writing life, there have I can see I can look back on my writing life and sort of see very clear delineations of change that something is yeah. something happened in my poetry fundamentally changed, and then something happened later in my poetry changed again um yeah like what can you can you talk about 
if you've had that ex- those experiences, can you talk a, a bit about like the the shifts in the in the foundation of your writing? So okay, um, my the stuff that will never see the light of day um, <laughs> that I'm gonna make I'm not gonna burn or destroy them, but like I still have all my stuff that I wrote as a kid, mm-hmm. and it I was trying to I forced rhyming. You know, reading Shakespeare in high school, mm-hmm. you're trying to like do that, whatever you think you're seeing. Um, I would take material like books I was reading and write and write stuff from that. And I mean, it's bad, it's really bad stuff, it's like horrible, right? And trying to force a form, you know, all that crap. Mm-hmm. And then at some point in my 20s, 30s, I was just sort of like, oh, I don't have to, I don't have to rhyme. You know, I don't have to force a rhyme. I don't have to, like, I can express it in this way. But then still, like, I don't know. I'm one of those people that kind of likes to fill around in the dark until I figure out, like, what something's doing or thinking about it. Um, You know, certainly entering into an MFA program um, helped. It it helped, like, for some discipline Mm -hmm. in terms of really giving like I was forced to take space to focus not that I wouldn't have but but it it forced to be thinking about certain things and you know I feel like now I'm in a phase of thinking about what kind of poet do I want to be in terms of do I want to write to the moment or do I want to transcend the moment I don't think I knew enough to, to think about that when I was younger I don't think I knew enough and, and I'm still very much a student, right? I'll be the student for the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, the text on the pyramids, no, the Sumerian text, all like, oh, you know, Gilgamesh, all this ancient, 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 what's in the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, ancient poetry and thinking about, um, you know, could I be timeless or if something is rooted in time, even if it's talking about, even if it's of its time, mm-hmm. can it go beyond that? Um, my, my second book, um, it's funny because even with my books, I can kind of see a shift, like yeah, a ghetto claustrophobia, dreaming of mama while trying to speak woman in woke tongues. Very, like, it's the first time I wrote about very, like where I lived in poetic form. Okay. Like I could do that in like, you know, CNF and like you talk about Tweety Collins street and this and, and mom and dad and all this stuff. But the to like actually have this come out in poetic form was something very different and stuff is very personal here mm-hmm. with black metamorphosis. It goes in the other direction of more of the it go. This is like I would say micro. It's a good book like ghetto claustrophobia. It's like micro like self. Mm-hmm. The, the other book goes macro. It goes mythic because it's well, it's based off of Ovid's metamorphosis. And so what I did is I wanted to do something that spoke to like a certain kind of human experience, but inevitably all of our human experiences um, about the traveled black body. Uh, and so that goes in a different direction. And so um, even as I work on this other book or whatever it's going to be after that, it, it goes in yet another direction and thinking about, um, yeah, it, it just sort of kind of happened that wow. way. That's, it's interesting that you, that you mentioned when you were in high school, you had to write your own wasteland and that yes. like, <laughs> is, is, it's like you're, it's a, 
another uh, another entry into that that I guess uh, that practice of or that experience of taking a sort of existing framework of a work and then mm-hmm. doing something to try to mm-hmm. elevate or change or respond yes. to or be in conversation or interrogate with. it. Right. Yeah. 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 So do you like? Were there was there a difference in writing process for you between the first book or the, the types of poems in the first book versus the types of poems in the second book? Yes, definitely. Um, the second book was so very a lot of research, mm-hmm. like and, and research, and I'll say little r research, right? Like reading mm-hmm. what other people have done, trying to also look at primary sources of things that were scanned online. Mm-hmm. Um, and thinking about what, like a lot of thinking too, in between the digging. So it's like, if you're taking something like the metamorphoses and you're thinking about uh, Arachna and, you know, Tereus and Echo, Mm -hmm. I wasn't interested in a direct interpretation. I was interested in what does that look like? Like, what does desire and lust look like when it's related from one group of people put upon another group of people? Mm. What is, um, you know, what what does what does it mean? I mean, to, you know, Tereus cutting out his sister-in-law's tongue, you know, mm-hmm. and what like what is the metaphor of that? What is that tapestry? If mm-hmm. what if that if that tapestry could speak what is that tapestry? What does it look like within the realm of black body, black psyche, black mm-hmm. spirit yeah. and, and history? Um, what is, you know, what, what is it when mortals become angry and want to exact revenge, not just the gods, right. you know, like yeah. all the, you know, and this, so thinking like a lot of thinking, rereading, rereading and, <laughs> <laughs> but also like I didn't I wasn't interested in a direct interpretation and just doing um you know just putting a black body over this it, that wouldn't make any sense and I'd be just so that's not interesting I wanted right. something that was going to you know inspire people to raise questions also kind of to you know what did it mean that Ovid's in exile and that that became, that was my muse oh, in exile, yeah. right? Who's my muse. And, you know, over 2000, he's over 2000 years old. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, but yet it somehow spoke to me. And yet it's funny because um, we do overuse the Greek pantheon a lot. And, and what I wanted to do is kind of flip it and rely on, um, you know, some of the more, African and African diasporic imagery, um, but but also really, you know, what's the conversation of here and the the struggles or like the parameters within like what what happens like within America these bigger issues, but like on the mythic yeah. realm, you know, what does hunger mean? You know, like hunger, the way these, these different gods and goddesses are described, mm-hmm. like, how does that manifest when you're thinking about gender and, and race yeah. and history and trauma? And like, what does that, what does that look like? Like what does Sila and Glaucus 
who do they become? Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because yeah. I like I've I've mentioned this in the podcast many many times before, and I will probably mention it many many times after this too. Yeah. Um, but like I I'm I find myself attracted to poetry that is that is written sort of in a particular way, and it is utilized consciously or unconsciously in a, in a particular way, or it's being utilized for a particular thing, and and that for me is like poets that have an experience or have a moment and then write a, the poem in such a way that it invites the reader into that moment so that they can experience it the mm. way that the poet experienced it. Um, like the, mm -hmm. the way that I've, I've, I've always sort of in the, one of the, the ways that I kind of got to this point of understanding that this is how I like poetry to operate. And this is what I like, this is what I try to do in my poetry. And this is what I, I tend to seek out when I read poetry is and I don't like, I don't want to bash like Instagram style poetry, but mm -hmm. the differences that yeah. I was, I was seeing and the, and the difference that I sort of, the, the image that came to mind was that a lot of the Instagram poetry that I've read feels like it is, uh, analogous to someone describing their dream to someone else that it's mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. it's cool. It might be interesting, but it doesn't really, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it doesn't stir anything in me. Like it doesn't mm -hmm, really move me mm -hmm. anywhere. It's like, it usually just leaves me. It's like, huh, okay, that's cool or weird. Or, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. that's whatever. Um, whereas poetry that, that I tend to seek out feels like it is the, it, the poems feel like they are inviting you in to dream the dream and have the experience and that to me it's like that that shift while subtle feels like a fundamental difference in that like i want to feel these things i personally want to feel these things like i, I want to be in the space where i like i'm i'm being given new eyes and a new body and a new experience to just to see the world differently because i like ultimately i think that it it it, it lends itself to ex an expansion of perception and like the growing of empathy and all these other things that mm. I think art in mm -hmm. general can do, but poetry in, in this way specifically, like that is a direct line to those things. So <laughs> all of that to say, it's interesting that your first collection was like your life in the, in the sort of distilling of those moments or like finding the, like the sort of emotions and the experiences of, of those things, of those moments mm -hmm. and like really doing, maybe not, not doing the work in the negative connotation, but doing the work to like sit with these things and to really explore, to find it's like, what are the, what are the hearts of these moments? And like, what am I, like you're saying before that, like you can, if you have a novel, you have pages and pages to clarify things. Whereas with a poem you have, you know, you can have maybe a five pages if it's a long poem or whatever, but typically it's like, you've got a page, you have a line yeah you have whatever to like get yourself into that moment of like, this is the, this is the heart. This is the fire. This is the clarity. This is the, the essence of whatever it is that I'm talking about has been dropped down into this point. Um, and it feels like, like it's, it, well, it's interesting to me that that book came first and that the, the, uh, the next book is you are do, basically doing the same work, but in the service of these stories and these myths that it's not it's not you're not trying to find these experiences personally but you're trying to like distill these essence of these stories down into their essence and then give that translation or that interpretation of like this is what the core emotion is and this is how it would manifest 
like now maybe or this is this is the like the the current experience or the current um i don't know like manifestation of this thing and it's just it's interesting that it's like it's the same it feels like it the same process is happening but instead of it being personal stories and personal experiences it is a the larger it's like it is the mythic experiences and the mythic emotions or whatever that you are still it's like you're still doing the same thing of, of getting them down into these things that you can then sort of reinterpret or converse or sort of like like really holding your hand and inspect and turn and look at really really closely and be like okay well how it's like how's this really working right now and then allow it to expand back out once you've sort of reached that point Yeah, that's that's really it was just it's cool to, to like to see that that motion happening and yeah that's I mean yeah I, it's and it's very exciting it's yeah. very exciting because it's like the second book is it's I mean there's a lot of historical stuff in there too so it's like you know when talking about the black experience and not speaking for the whole group right. but just some of the specific experience within a diaspora it. It's so it was so interesting to do it through that lens yeah. of the mythic. It wasn't the me speaking. Right. It was right. Yeah. So yeah, and it, it feels like it is the like how how poetry was. I mean, at least in in the Western tradition, like how poetry sort of came about that it, you are the you are the spokesperson and the interpreter of events, and like you are. Mm-hmm it's like it becomes a personal thing that you put your stamp on because it is the like the metaphors that you choose and the imagery that you choose and the sort of the details that you that exist across the stories and across the retellings but the details that you choose it's like this is what i'm going to linger on it's like this is what i'm going to embellish a little bit um yeah but you like you were the you were the mouthpiece or the interpreter or the voice to these these much bigger things um which ultimately feel like I mean, I think that that's a reason that like nature poets exist because there are mm-hmm, these things mm-hmm. that like humans have these emotions and they have these experiences and they're the only analog, external analog that people can find or nature poets can find. It's like it's nature. It's that like I'm feeling a thing and what I see, it's like a tree in the middle of the woods that's old and like decrepit, like I, I know what that feeling is. Like I can, I have emotionally that exists inside of me. Um, and you have these like, cause like at, I feels like at the, like myths in and of themselves or like folklore or lore or any of that stuff. It's like, you're basically, it's hyperbole to talk about these core aspects of humans and core things that we all deal with. And it's just, you spin them out real big to give people perspective and to sort of like like satire it's like you can you can kind of get yourself in to get people thinking about a thing without directly making them think about the thing Um, right yeah which is interesting also that like i never really thought about before that like that like hip-hop and rap and just like musicians like any any music Mm -hmm. that incorporates lyrics it's like that's kind of operating in the same space that it's it's the mm-hmm. it's the the auditory and the verbal sort of storytelling and cobbling together of, of words mm-hmm. and language in a way that is um like far-reaching and impactful to people um and it's weird that like that split because like poetry definitely feels like it occupies a very particular place 
and then all these other types of art forms exist in a very sort of other place and it's like why <laughs> but like but then you have like you know yeah right that's that, true that's like they they're doing it's like they're it's fucking spoken word shit that's just put over beats it's like they're doing the same fucking yeah, thing yeah. you know but just, they're bards yeah, yeah right yeah exactly that yeah that that there is this weird sort of separation between those and even between like poetry for the page and like spoken word poetry that there's these this weird division oh, between those yeah. two that like yeah like wh- i understand I, I understand that they're doing different things kind of or that they're like right different ways maybe to to different avenues to sort of arrive at the same location but it, it feels like there is a world of difference between you know like the poetry on the page world and the the poetry for the stage world and i'm like but like right why why <laughs> why does this exist right. oh, that makes no fucking sense to me i don't i don't understand it yeah <sighs> no i mean it's, it's it's fascinating because the way i've thought about it is just thinking about orality and mm. how you know there is a way that something is different when something's in a text form on a page versus if you are forced to really embody it and take it into your body and repeat it and it be spoken. I, I read with a poet actually, who's like that. None of her stuff is written down and it's like, yeah, it's like sort of like, Whoa. Right. And there is, you know, the idea of the griot who's doing the telling Mm -hmm. and the passing of, and you're required, you can't necessarily go, okay, hold on, let's take some notes. <laughs> you're listening, right? Yeah. And then you may repeat the story. The story then becomes somehow yours a little bit mm-hmm. and it's shifted. Yeah. And they're all relaying a certain kind of message. It's just like, well, what is the vehicle? Is it, and it's, people have told me that it's different for them to hear me read my poems versus like, like they've seen it and then hearing me read it was another layer of a thing. It mm-hmm. was like another layer for them where they're like, okay. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I think I'm a really shitty reader. Um, I don't I know. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I think that my reading of my like performance for the lack of a better term of mm-hmm. my own poetry when I've done readings um actually is a disservice to, to my poetry oh, no, no. <laughs> um, but it's also like because I've, I've often thought about um like my what my ideal way of my poetry being experienced in a like in a reading setting would be and it's honestly mm-hmm. like i really want to just print out you know like however many copies or however many people are gonna like however many seats there are on the venue just print out that number of copies mm-hmm. of the poems that i would conceivably read that night and just put them under the table like the chairs and to be like for the next 10 minutes maybe put on some music or do some something to create uh... that sort of space and just have everybody just read it themselves like that to me is the ideal way of of having my poems experience because like i i honestly don't it's never really a consideration of mine like how things sound allowed like that is that's just because oh that's interesting i mean it's a consideration of like how things sound in my head but yeah 
Um, but it's never really like, cause I, I very rarely ever read my poetry aloud. And most of the time when other people experience it, it is on the page where they like, mm -hmm. they interpret it. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's a thing that's like, I, I it, there, it feels like there's some, it feels like there's some state or some spell that being alone with my poetry, at least when I read it, it's like, I, I, there's this mm -hmm. like world that's being created and any sort of spokenness or any sort of like outside noise, it bursts that bubble. Um, Interesting. Yeah. But, yeah. but I also don't know if it's like, if it's just, if it, if I could get to a point similar to like being, being a runner or, or having a writing practice, I don't know if, if this is just like initial resistance that I would have to push through and I could get my poems to a place or I could, I could read my poems at a place where it's like mm -hmm. hearing them creates the same state that I want people to have when they, when they themselves read it. Or if it's just that like my poetry, it doesn't, it just doesn't work like that. Um, I don't know. But do you like, yeah. do you, I, I guess a question for you, like what, what would be your ideal way that you would want people to experience your poems? That's a really good question. Um, and would you would you want that any, experience to like the first like the first time versus the fiftieth time? Would that ex would those experiences be different? I think so because like I don't know. I have these fantasies for the for Black Metamorphosis that I would love for some people to dance it. And, you know, like for, you know, maybe some people want to score it and, you know, maybe it becomes a thing that's acted out and like, but like, you know, it's this thing and that would be very different than, you know, I've worked with a friend off and on sometimes to try to get my poetry put to music Ooh, cool. with a sound bed. Mm -hmm. And so that would be different. So I would say like, if I, if I could put out an album, that would be awesome. Um, but I like the books in hand. So like any way possible. And then for people to like, actually my friend, it was so sweet. One of these poems was inspired by her son's graduation party. And I wrote the poem about the experience. She said that her, while her husband was fishing, she sat on a rock and her daughter was there and she read the poem out loud to them. And it was just like, <laughs> you know it was like I couldn't ask for any better like just that was cool mm -hmm. like so any means possible if people wanted to like listen like to it that'd be great if people wanted to actually see it you know manifested visually that would be great yeah. um I like all sorts of vehicles because I think that we all sense things differently Mm -hmm. and so and there's another thing that happened I thought was really cool um during one of my readings uh the venue had commissioned a piece of chocolate based off of the final poem in the book it was called wake it was it was chocolate and while I was reading to people they had the opportunity to eat the poem. They like actually had a piece of chocolate that, is so cool. that was based off the poem. And so it was this multi-sensorial experience. Yeah. 
And so I believe in that. Like, oh, how do we man. take language and make it like, especially the poetic, how do you then like bend it, right? And how yeah. do you make it so that, you know, every every piece of visual art is not poetic, but then how, if you were to apply the poetic lens mm -hmm. and the, the idea of like rhythm, meter, movement and, and form, what would that look like? Yeah. What would it taste yeah. like? What would it sound like? Oh, man. And so <laughs> that's that's what I'm interested in. I'm I'm interested in any vehicle people want to use, and and how could I put them in those vehicles yeah. with I my mean, work? Fuck, I never I never thought about having a food version. <laughs> yeah, was... food version. Yes. Okay, so I I changed I changed my mind about my my ideal way that I want people to encounter my. <laughs> I want there to be like a five course tasting menu that yes. is that is yes. like my poetry. <laughs> there would be my poetry for whatever it is that I would read. It's just yes. that like you would get the like each course is its own like <laughs> food interpretation. Man, that oh god, that would be And so that you could like you know, any libations food, hors charcuteries. I mean, think about I mean it's just I, that's how my brain works and so it's just sort of like how yeah. do we is there a smell associated with you know like just to know the essence of that bowl like yeah. put into another form man i i need to i need to find some <laughs> chefs and talk, talk to them about yes. this is this, this yeah, is an amazing yeah. fuck i'm like i mean that's a good it's a different way to experience work yeah where it then becomes like i would love I would love to at some point in the spring, if there's if there's a reading, that to have food also be a part like a food thing, because then it's it becomes this other level of experience. Yeah, I mean that you could even do. God, I so this is I don't know if this is a galaxy brain or what, but you could do an entire like. Let's say you have, a shortish chat book that's like, six yes. seven poems whatever. And then you do a, you do a, I guess it would be like an art exhibition of each one of those poems is, is manifested in a different sense. So you have like somebody would do some like potpourri or some perfume some for smell. Yeah. And then you'd have yeah. someone make food and then you would have someone to do yeah. music and someone to do yeah. visual art and someone to do like yeah. a touch experience somehow. Yeah. But yeah. I, I never... That would be a wild thing to have. Wouldn't that that's wild? Isn't oh, that wild? Man. I feel like that in that way, then it's a whole experience. So yeah. that that's yeah. And I'm like I'm I always so I'm I'm a musician, um, and I'm I've I have not done this yet, but I'm really interested in um so I think I've probably explained this in the podcast before too, but the way that I view like music and poetry and the sort of connection that they have is that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. poetry is um, like translations of emotional experiences that you, you have a thing, you feel a thing, you experience a thing, whatever, and you put it into words. And because it's a translation, there's always a little bit of something that's lost and you can get, you can get close to the essence, but you can't get truly to it. Whereas music for me feels like it is a direct transposition of an emotional, like I, I personally experience music in a very emotional way. Um, and as, like usually, I mean, 
a lot of the stuff that I listen to is instrumental, so it's just like sound that you can kind of just I, I can empty my emotions into. Um, so I've I've been toying around with the idea, and I, I haven't gotten there yet. But having like doing some some music poetry project where it's either like there are or musical or song interpretations of poems, or that I have like a let's say like four experiences, and each of those experiences is is extrapolated into music and into a poem just to have the like the to show the different ways that they're the interpretation of those things um and that Mm. like having a having an entire sensory i never thought about expanding it out to the other senses of just that like there could be like what would a poem feel like right it's not a thing that i ever thought about but like Right. I mean, I, like, what does it feel like? What does it look like visually without the use of the words? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like. I, yeah. Man, I gotta. Whew, that's. I maybe I. I so there's <laughs> there's a grant there's an annual grant that I've been trying to go for for like a, a music project, um, which has not panned out. But I want. I wonder if I could somehow spin this idea into <laughs> into a grant proposal. <laughs> you could. You totally could. Oh, I think you could. Man, wow. Okay, I gotta. I'm gonna have to sit with that for a long time because yeah. that, that, that completely is revolutionizing, revolutionizing yeah. the way that. Oh man. Whew. <laughs> um, but okay. So speaking about like other creative experiences and stuff, um, I wanted to ask. So as a like multidisciplinary creative yourself, like, do you? Is there any bleed or any overlap that you feel between the creative? practices that you have or do you feel like there is like have they and if they have in what ways have they influenced each other um, as you've sort of existed with them in your life that's a very good question um i would say beneath the beneath all of them beneath the photography um i love everything from breaking into abandoned spaces and photographing them to um, my dark goddess exhibition that um, is now going on to another form. Um, you know, it whether it's that, whether it's been the journalism where I love asking people questions and in- encouraging them with, you know, inquiry. I think that that's what it is. It's inquiry. It's a deep, mm-hmm. it's, it's for me, it's like beneath the surface. I wanna see the unseen. Right. And, and how do you, and how do you encourage inquiry in others? How do you encourage it or beckon it within yourself? How do keep, how do you feed it? How do you maintain it? Um, yeah, I would say inquiry is, is the best like theme under, underneath, you know, this intense, hunger for like whether I'm like how can I get something down to a really good line mm-hmm. to express like how could I get a line to be pregnant and full mm. of so much all the way to is there a person who you know that I'm interviewing where they you know I get to encourage more curiosity and, and drive towards their work or who they are or what they're putting out into the world mm-hmm. to, um, you know, the, the gaps, intentional gaps that I choose when, when doing my creative nonfiction and, and 
like encourage encouraging the these for people to ask questions of themselves and explore and um be wild with the curiosity so would you so would you say that your your various creative endeavors are like different ways or different you're you're exploring those same questions with like exploring the the pushes into inquiries just in different mediums I would say yes, definitely, okay. definitely. Hmm. And different kinds of forms of inquiry in some cases, there are things that are pushing me to do more deeper dives, you know, like with my Dark Goddess um, exhibition, where it's like, you know, thinking about the sacred feminine and what does that mean? And how is that interpreted in visual format? And, you know, all these questions about, someone asked me a question about the male gaze and this whole idea um, that, you know, Laura Mulvey, um, film critic, I think she's also a filmmaker. And, you know, in the 1970s came up with this idea, the concept that the all, all cameras are male, you know, like, and we internalize male gaze. And then there's John Berger's book, Ways of Seeing, um, that talked about that, you know, women, being the ones being seen, men doing looking, total total cis normative and, and heteronormative. But it even me thinking of that, you know, when I think of my photography work. So in, like in that way, there's like all these other levels of inquiry that I'm doing with that work. It's not it's not all figured out. Mm-hmm. And there's still some gaps to address. And that yeah, I would say in those ways. Those the, those are some of the things that I've uh, so th- you, that that would say how they bleed into each other. Do you, have you found that like some of the ways that you inquire or that you pursue inquiries in poetry or photography, like have you seen um, any evidence of those like influencing each other? Like, is there a way that you would you would like photograph yeah it's good it's good yeah it's funny to say that so there's the this photography project that i want to embark upon so it's funny because it's some of the personae that the models chose for uh dark goddess um the imagery or the idea of flight which makes an appearance in the second book mm-hmm. um but you could say the idea someone brought up or picked up on the idea of self-liberation and the fact that these, cause I collaborated which, with each of these models. I didn't put them in the costumes. They decided how they wanted to be perceived. You know, they, mm-hmm. we both decided on, you know, using co-creating with nature as the set um, and shooting outside, all of that. Mm-hmm. And the idea of self-liberation, which I would say like is one, you could say is one of the themes of ghetto claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, the freeing of the self beyond any environment, trappings of environment, trappings of family, trappings of all that we say makes up of our identity. How do we break beyond that? Um, there's also this other photography project that I've been thinking about for a couple of years now, um, dealing with the, the mythology around black flight, like literally mm-hmm. this, it came out of, um, these stories that were collected oh is that the freedmen's bureau project 
um, through the government, early 20th century, collecting these stories of formerly enslaved individuals um, and, and some who were descendants of formerly enslaved individuals talking about seeing people literally take off and fly back to Africa. And that this is a theme that Toni Morrison has dealt with um, the New Yorker um, a few years ago, an experimental filmmaker had like a piece about it, like mm. a video piece. And so I'm, you know, exploring ways to explore that theme. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very closely tied to, I mean, it, it's some of the things that I've talked about in Black Metamorphosis, so which is interesting. Mm -hmm. And I just discovered that when I was talking to someone about possibly seeking grants for something, and I was thinking, oh, oh those are those are connected. <laughs> like, wow, that's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's interesting how, I guess, like, the, the things that we are, as creatives, preoccupied with find ways of manifesting into just various aspects of mm -hmm. just whatever it is that you know it's like mm -hmm. and you could be doing something and not it feels like it's totally unrelated and then there's this that one thing that pops up like oh no of course this is in the same sort of like <laughs> cinematic universe as this other thing that i'm right. working on because it's all you know it's yeah. all it's all speaking or all um speaking towards the same thing or all like being i don't know like it there is this one origin source and all these things are sort of spokes off of that hub of Mm -hmm. various ways of it being interpreted or manifested or um that's i i imagine that that is a exhausting but also really fulfilling like art in totality art practice to have all these different things that you can sort of access and that you can different ways that you can you can bring things into creative life um but I, as, as the sort of exhilarating, really just like fulfilling aspect of it, but also because there's, there's so many, like, you have all these like pieces in the fire that you kind of have to take yeah. to, yeah. I imagine feels like it, it can be real draining real quick. You know what? No, it's, it feeds me. Um, I've okay. always been one to, I'll give you an example. So when I was in my twenties, I was running for one organization. I was running two after-school programs that I'd created. I created them. Oh, wow. I had to market them. I had to pitch them. This was before my MBA. Mm -hmm. I had to like do all that, um, get buy-in from the community, all that good jazz. And on the other end, I had created and implemented a statewide internship program for another organization. So, like Planned Parenthood of Southern New England, I created their statewide internship program. And it was like one of the few models in the country, like one of the affiliates mm -hmm. that had this model on college campuses. And so I was running both of those things at the same time. Um, and when I was getting my MBA, I also had a fellowship, uh, a health fellowship that I was finishing up. Um, and I was also working full time. So I, it's like, it, it's, I'm one of those people that I'm doing, you know, I can, I can cook a 12 course meal and none of it will be burned and all of it's beautiful. <laughs> I, I am, I am envious of the ability to do that. Uh, Cause I have definitely recognized in myself that I cannot multitask and have it. And, yeah. and like, I can't, I can't split my attention between a bunch of different things and have each one of those things mm -hmm. be 
like mm-hmm. be solid. I really have to take mm-hmm. my time and focus on like, yeah. I'm doing this. And then when this yeah. is done, I can move on and do yeah. like, I'm, I have, um, I'm, I'm an editor. I, I, I run my own press. Um, and I have like six or seven manus. Well, maybe like four or five now manuscripts mm-hmm. that I'm actively editing. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I have to, I can't like, I can't do one day edit this thing. The next day edit this thing. The next thing yeah. I have to do, I have to spend a week of like, I, I will get this one project edited and knocked out in this week and yeah. then I can move on to something yeah. else because it's like, it's, it's really, I don't know if it's a momentum thing or what, but it's really difficult for me to, to quickly switch gears between different states. And that also mm-hmm. might be what, one of the reasons why I haven't really been writing a whole lot over the, mm-hmm. the COVID shit um, mm-hmm. is I've been doing a lot of editing and like th- right. the, my editing brain is very, very different than my like poetry genesis brain. No, it's no, it's true actually, because I've had to go through and I've, I've been doing stuff for Vermont public radio mm-hmm. as well, like doing some, um, art reflections. And when I have to like, listen, pull something out, write it. And then like, think about like editing and doing like, but I, usually the thing that I'm doing in that day, I probably several hours before was also doing something else within mm, the same okay. day. But is but I do give it full attention. Um, with this latest project involving my exhibition, my photography, mm-hmm. I'm I, I'm going into this realm where I'm going to be thinking about other things in relationship to it. Mm, okay. Um, and it's like it, but uh, and I'm taking those moments and I carry it with me. So even if I'm cooking, you know, mm-hmm. whatever I'm doing it's with me and it's, it's the, the wheels are turning. Yeah. And I guess that like, given the different, if, if the, if you're like the, your creative mediums are different enough, it can be like maybe the same, the same drawing from the same well of general creative, like that creative energy, but it's a different, it's different enough in like color or tone or whatever. Right. That it, it doesn't drain out from the other, creative things that you're that you're working yeah. with yeah yeah no they they feed they feed each other i mean mm. even my teaching encouraging my students to ask the bigger critical questions of me i teach media studies at mm. the penny school and i'm working with seniors this semester which is awesome mm-hmm. um and some of the questions i've asked them i've tested on adults i'm like okay i'm going in the right direction and i i actually my husband said I don't know if I'd be able to answer that question. <laughs> and I'm like, four. <laughs> like, so it, you know, I, and this, the whole school, it has different through lines. One of them being inquiry, right? Mm-hmm. And that that's very key to how I work too. Yeah. And so a lot of these things, you know, I've been jotting down notes. I've, I've been uh, keeping a COVID di- pandemic diary. So with, soon as this hit, I was like, I got my Jones Indian opportunity. I was so jealous that she got to write inside of a decade. How do I get a chance? I was like, well, here's your chance, girl. Yep. Get to it. <laughs> so it's like, but it, in trying to grapple with all that, all that material. Um, and so, you know, yeah. And even when I can't necessarily get to the page, I use my voice recorder. If I'm driving, I, I hit record. I'm recording and and get the transcript off of it. Yeah, that and it helps. the The ability to do voice to text stuff um, has been a 
like a godsend for right. you know it's like because I'll, I'll sometimes i'll be at work um and i can't i can't take the time to actually like jot out the line or it's not fully right. formed in my head but i can just right. i can just open up a like a memo on my phone and just talk at it and get the sort of general right. idea or the whatever out on it and then i just have that as a i can pull from whenever i need to to like whenever the poem itself is going to manifest or whatever the image that I need to get out of that thing needs to happen. Um, yeah, that's, um, it's been a real, it's a not necessarily a game changer, but that's been something that I've leaned on a lot. Um, especially like I've gone on, um, I used to do, um, I should probably get back into doing this. Like I'd stop for a walk on my way home, just out in a, in the local park. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes would just get lines for poems. And it's like, I didn't want to, to break, the i guess like the the mental or the internal space that i was cultivating in the walk to like stop and actually write it out but i just pull out my phone and just talk at it for like mm -hmm. a minute or two while i'm walking mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. okay well that's the end of that thought i can put it up and then just yeah. like be back in the experience of of you know going on the walk and being in nature and just trying to be like open and connected to stuff um i used to carry it around a little i've i've discovered that I really like small notebooks that I can like fit in my pocket because it's yeah. small and it's handy, but it's really difficult. I found for me to like, like to, I, my handwriting is tiny and small. And when I have a small thing that I'm writing in, and it's, so it's nice. I prefer having like a, I don't know, maybe half the size of like an uh, eight by 11 or eight and a half yeah. by 11 sheet. Cause I feel yeah. like I, I really have the space that I can kind of, it can exist. Yeah. Whereas if I have something that's like, you know, yeah. the size of my, my hand, I'm like, Ooh, I gotta get, I gotta get all my <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and like I come back to it a week later. I'm like, it's what, just a, what is that? It's just a bunch of, there was actually, there was a poem that I was trying to transcribe into, uh, into Google docs. And there was one word that I had, and this is something I wrote probably months ago. And I was like, I don't know. This is the, it was the first time that I encountered that I've gone back to my own writing. I'm like, I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what this says. Right. And I sat with it for the better part of a week. And there was just one day I was looking at it. I was like, Oh, that's what that word is. But I was like, oh, it took me a week to everything else so in the poem funny. was legible. And then, except for that one word. And I was like, I, right. I don't know. I've done that before. <laughs> yeah. That's so hilarious. I mean, I'm, I'm someone who still long hands things and like, and I prefer it and it's, you know, it's my original go-to Yeah. and the, the downfall is, well, make sure you can read your writing. Yes. Yeah. I, there's a definitely more often than not, when I'm first writing a poem, it will be longhand. Um, and then I will, when I put it into the computer, I'll do a sort of initial round of edits on it. And then it'll sort of just mm -hmm. exist in as, you know, like in Google mm -hmm. Docs or uh, as a Word document or whatever. Um, yeah, but there's something that like, there's something that feels almost necessary to, at least when I'm writing, when I'm uh, getting out my poems, it feels almost necessary to do it longhand. And I don't, I don't know, right. I don't know why it just, it feels like there's like, that feels like that for me too. I mean, that's my original, yeah. that's how I write. It's just longhand, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I don't, it feels like there's, I mean, I speaking to like the ritual, like when we were talking about before, it feels like there's something that is like some sort of kinesthetic necessity that it need, like it has to physically come out and I have to physically like make the words exist 
in the right. world before I can I just type it because there's like yeah I don't know if it's like it feels like there's some sort of like somatic connection to like actually physically writing a thing and it, it makes it more um more internalized which is weird because the no 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 but it's like but it. it's true yeah. that's unfounded it's true there is something different than I mean what even reading on a screen versus reading hard copy what that does to our brains that's been founded and mm. like and I think that you know writing and the physical act and for those of us who it's not difficult for right there's some people it's really difficult for writing yeah. but like if you can physically write there's something just different about it I think versus what you put I, I found too with this whole, you know, you type things on the screen or you do it longhand. One time I was looking for a story that I could have sworn I typed out, but I had written it out mm -hmm. and hadn't put it in the computer yet. But I was just like, I was getting confused about, mm -hmm. was it longhand? Was it, you know, I mean, it's just so fascinating. Yeah. You know, our brains and bodies and relationships to technology and just the original thing, way yeah. of doing things. Yeah, I mean, that's in a weird way. Um, that's one of the reasons why like bookmaking and like sort of book art stuff was really um, was really attractive to me because it felt like it was the the sort of like kinesthetic skill yes. that's associated with writing that is missing from the act of writing. Because like I like playing mm -hmm. music, you know, it's like you, you have to learn how to play your instrument. There's a there's a level of like physical your like your body has to has to physically do this thing and if right. you've never done it before it can take a long time to figure out it's like oh this is how my hands yeah. work on the like the fretboard of a bass or whatever um right. and in like when you're younger or when you're a kid and you're learning how to write you're sort of getting to that point but it's not specifically for a creative thing it's just to like to exist kind of mm -hmm. more or less functionally in in our society Mm -hmm. um and when when i got to book arts it was one of those it became that thing of like oh this is the like this is what i was missing with with poetry because it's all at least for me it's like it's so it's so much of an internal thing that mm -hmm. when it manifests it's just i have to be able to write neatly enough to be able to read it the next time that i right. go back to it and there's not a level of skill involved in that whereas with the bookmaking i was like oh no there's actual like like this is a physical skill that I have to get better at and the way that I get better at it is just doing it a lot, which is, you know, similar to writing poetry, but it's, it's the internal process versus the external process. And it was, right. It was a weird, it's like, I didn't realize that I felt like there was something that was missing until I got to book arts. And it's like, Oh no, this is the thing that's, that's missing that. But book arts are awesome. Yeah. I'm, They're awesome. I'm actually, I got a, I have a chance to speak to the current book arts class at my, um, the university at MFA, uh, later in the month. That's um, so cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, I'm kind of, I'm kind of shocked. I'm, I'm always shocked when people like turn to me as like, Oh, Hey, you, you're doing this thing. You could come talk yeah. to us about, cause like, I don't, yeah. there, I doesn't feel like I've, I've done, it doesn't feel like I'm at a place that I have that authority or like that. The, I've gained that level of responsibility, but I apparently I have, and it's always a surprise right. to me that I'm like, oh no, okay, I, oh, guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I can't talk about this thing. Right, I've been doing for like seven, no, how, um, eight 
years no that's so cool that's way cool yeah i've been doing it the press officially started in i guess or maybe unofficially started in 2013 but i guess officially started in 2004 14 um yeah so i guess eight seven eight years um but it's awesome um so i have two final questions for you that are oh. traditional questions that I ask all of my guests. Um, yeah. The first question is, if you have the vocabulary for it, what is your internal landscape like? And it doesn't have to be, I feel like I always have to preface this, it doesn't have to be a physical landscape. Um, the, the usual go-to example that I have is that one of my friends, uh, when I asked her this question, uh, her answer was a swirling mass of brightly colored frosting. Ah, okay. Um, my my personal one is a physical landscape, but it like if you were to sort of retreat internally and just think like the first image that comes to mind of like the the like whatever your your center place is, what would that be? My center place is somewhere a combination between a dirt road hmm. that keeps going. Um, and some could say, oh, it's because you're in Vermont, but like <laughs> someone could be a smart ass and say that someone could, or, or I'm always drawn to castles, um, really Ooh. big behemoth structures where there's an endless supply of like mystery and it's it's all around this vast landscape and it's just like it, there's like so much just there like but I guess if I were to relate I guess my metaphorically that's what my my internal landscape looks somewhere between the dirt dirt road that's got these cubby holes and or it's this behemoth structure hmm. and you may think you see certain things but then there are other things that are hidden yeah. and some surprises so um, it would like is there is the is what i guess like borders or surrounds the dirt road important or is it really just the image of like just that that stretch of road that just like the the first uh residency i did was in nebraska so i i have experience with just <laughs> dirt roads yeah. that just feel like they go stretch for yeah. miles and miles and miles but yeah. that experience was like it's just it's farmland just you know yeah. like corn or soybeans or whatever that just lines Mine up just for a, miles it's kind of shadowy okay and is it some some spaces are open some are kind of closed but it's just like you never know what's going to peek out interesting yeah so it's it's just like it's like a disembodied dirt road that's sort of yeah yeah like misty shadowy stuff kind of yeah and um yeah i would say that would probably be the best way to describe it i mean that like i don't i don't want to read too much into this but that definitely feels like um would maybe be a like a manifestation of the like the preoccupation to like curiosity and inquiry that that you have that there is Probably. That yeah like there are these things that exist around this road that 
is shrouded that you can you can see some that you can't yeah. see others and it just it requires yeah. just that exploration and that questioning of like well what mm -hmm. you know like what is what's that what's this thing yeah um because hmm. i like for mine mine feels like it is a I don't know if there is a thing that is like at the core of me that has manifested in these different ways or if the internal landscape for me is the thing that is manifested in different ways. Cause like there, I, um, I don't know, I guess a couple of years ago, maybe like a year or two ago, um, I realized that my gender is gender void. Um, mm. so I like, I experience a complete absence all right. I experience and identify with a complete absence of gender. Um, okay. And my internal landscape is basically just wide open prairie land where there's just mm -hmm, mm -hmm. nothing. And mm -hmm. when I like I encountered my internal landscape years and years ago. Um, and when I realized that my gender was gender void, there was a sort of like a, something that felt like dropped into place internally. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But I because it feels like they are. I don't know why, but intuitively it feels like they are manifestations of this, like some of what we were talking about. It's like, it's, it's, mm -hmm. there's this core thing that is being interpreted or manifest in two different ways, but it is basically just two versions of the same, like the same idea or the same core. Right. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if, I don't know if the internal landscape is that core and the, the gender voidness is a manifestation of that, or if they are both respectively manifestations of the, of a deeper thing. I haven't, I haven't explored yeah. enough of myself to, to arrive yeah. at that answer yet, but, um, I don't know. It's just, it, this is, it's always a really interesting question when I ask, or it's, it's a really good question. It's always really intriguing to me to get the answer to that question from my guests, because it's like, I have, there's never been a repeat answer. Like there's never uh -huh. been two people that have had the same answer. Yeah. It's always like, it's, even if I had a million years, I don't know if I could ever guess what any of my guests have said, what their internal landscapes are. Um, and it's always, it's interesting to me that just that like, if it is like how those things could potentially manifest in other ways in other people's lives, or if there's just like, if something that we've talked about in the podcast feels like it is a, a direct like correlation to that thing. Um, but yeah, I'm, it's, after the first time that I asked one of my guests that, I was like, oh, damn, okay, this has to be a question I ask everybody because it's, it's really, it's just, it's cool to know. Um, and my second question is, do you have a question for me about anything, anything, no topics off the table? Uh, that's a tough one. <laughs> that's a really good, um... What's your inspiration for the work that you do for your poetry? Ooh, um, usually my own emotional experiences. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I don't really write outside of myself. I mean, well, mm -hmm. I draw a lot of inspiration, I guess, or I guess, um, I, I take a lot of imagery from nature. Um, similar to what I was saying before, it definitely feels to me that, that there are things that I feel inside, which, I mean, manifest as the internal landscape question. It's like there are things that I feel inside that I feel 
emotional analogs of in the world that I can look yeah. at a thing and be like, that has an emotional aspect or emotional characteristic that I have felt before. And talking about this thing outside of myself is giving me a way into talking about my feelings or it's like it, it can be the the physical manifestation of this thing to get someone to this feeling of like oh yeah i know what that feels mm-hmm. like um so in in that regard or that respect i'm drawing from things outside of myself but it always usually sort of winds up back being about like i had this experience and it made me feel this thing and the poetry is a way for me to try to convey and transpose that feeling into other people. Um, mm, mm-hmm. um, yeah, which yeah. given like COVID and I've not had a ton of just like experiences. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've had experiences, but not a ton of like, like I said before, it's like I've, I've very much been about distraction uh, for the last like year and a half or so um, as opposed to like connection. Mm-hmm. So the experiences that I've had, um, I, similar to, like, I, I wanted to make this point about um, when you mentioned about, like, really enjoying watching TV. Like, I, I enjoy shows and stuff as well. Yeah. And it feels like there are, there are probably many ways to watch TV, but it feels like there's sort of, like, two diametrically opposed ways. That you can watch it and just shut yourself, your brain off, and just, like... <laughs> Like, you know, watching a, like a big blockbuster movie that you're not thinking about the plot, you're not asking questions, you're not, in, you're not like engaging with it. You're just sort of just letting it wash over you and, it, and hit you. And the other way to experience those things is to like you use it like you would use a book. It's like it's a way to get you to think about things or to experience stuff because it is it's yeah. storytelling. And it's a way that yeah. you can like you can watch a thing and then have those you can inquire about those your sort of emotional reactions or just like the aspects of storytelling or just you know like because it's a visual medium you can you can experience like cinematography or the directing or the you know like the the composition of shots whatever um and it feels like most of the experiences that i've had lately have been the washing over me type of experiences and not mm-hmm. like sitting with and really trying to figure out and like exploring and questioning and sort of trying to get to the, the, the meat of the experiences, mm-hmm. um, which in, in, as a result has was, has, uh, left me sort of bereft of, of poetry just because I've not had, I've not had a ton of emotional experiences that I've really like sat with and tried to figure out what's going on. But like I said, also earlier, it's like, I'm, I'm actively trying to, to change that because I'm working on a manuscript that I have maybe like five or six poems, maybe a handful more that I, I need to write for it. And like, I want to get, <laughs> I want to get this thing done. Right. So work, start focusing right. on other stuff. Um, but, and it's, it's definitely a thing that requires me to like sit with, things and think deeply and like access parts of myself i'm like oh, i just don't I haven't, <laughs> I haven't wanted to deal with for a while but it's i know that i need to um right yeah but it yeah it's it, in a weird way it's both like it's it really boils down to just like nature and emotional experiences that i have either in my, in myself or as a result of the nature that i experience mm. um, mm-hmm. but 
Yeah. I mean, like, the, when I was in uh, the studio center, like, all of the, the poems were just things that happened to me. Usually were just things that happened to me in a given day or, like, the previous day. I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is like... Similar like to similar to haiku or the way that I, I write haiku is it's like there's a you there are these like the beauty in the uh, the meaning or whatever can exist in these these small quotidian everyday moments. It's just you kind of have to like mm-hmm. be in the state to see it and be able to connect it to this other whatever other things that you need mm-hmm. to connect it to for it to really be this impactful you know because like. You can eat an apple and it doesn't really mean anything. And then you can have a day that you eat an apple and you're like, right, oh, right, okay, right, this is right, like... right, 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 it's a thing, <laughs> yeah, right, 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 yeah. right, right. Um, yeah, and it's you know it's just just going back to I guess like the the sort of first thing that we're talking about the like being in or accessing that sort of poetic state I think is the difference between eating an apple. And it just being the act of eating an apple or eating an apple right. and having it be this thing that's bigger. Or, you know, it's like even if eating the apple is just the act of eating the apple, that if you have access to the poetic state, you could maybe utilize that in some in some other way. You know, it's like the, mm-hmm. it's I, I don't know. But, yeah, that's a very long <laughs> answer to your question. Um but before we go, um, is there a poem from Ghetto Claustrophobia or the upcoming collection that you would like to share to to uh, to sign us off? Sure. Um, I'm going to actually read the first poem because it, it I struggled with the fact that I put the word ghetto in the title. Mm. Um, and I want usually for a book your first paragraph your first chapter teaches you how to read a book yes and this first poem was my way of showing people how to read Mm. and understand the term ghetto claustrophobia and breaking beyond the stereotype of the term Mm -hmm. ghetto itself ghetto claustrophobia whether place people state of mind you be locked in until you don't want to be noun people. Ghetto claustrophobics, also ghetto claustrophobes, ghetto claustrophobians, one. Any group of people, they evade capture. They evade description. Two, identity, perceived or imagined. Noun, a place. Ghetto claustrophobia, one. Fashioned for but not by. Think characters, think props. Two, big, so big, expansive, endless. Three, any place, the place with the matching riding mowers, that place where cliques of moms go by the same name. Four, hotel room, apartment, house, dreamscape, cityscape, rulescape, selfscape, could be another country, could be the human body as container, as shell, as place. From block to brick to burb to brownstone to any place, as in so many, as in endless. Five. These places, real and imagined, just like the people, they evade capture. Adjective. State of mind. States of being. Only an ailment if you want it to be. One. Black girlhood in America. Two. Nightmares. 
three, stages of human development. I'm I'm really curious now to to get your collection and read it and see what the the experience of reading it versus hearing it is because mm -hmm. I I definitely want to hear you just read all your poems. Yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know I know. <laughs> thank you. That was that was really, that was really wonderful. Um, and I think on that note, uh, I think we're at the end of the podcast. Or the well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. This was thank this you is... for this. This is exciting, and um, I look forward to the link when it's live. Yeah, this is this is a really. I'm I'm always really just similar to kind of we were talking about um, like early before right before we re recorded of just like it's really just a wonderful thing to be able to spend like an hour or so in a in a day and just talk about right. poetry. It's it's the, yeah. such a nice break and such a nice way to sort of you know ideally at the best case scenario sort of pry up a little bit of that poetic state um right and maintaining it but um thank you so much for being on the on the episode and um as always thank you so much for listening and i will talk to you all next time